0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Spatch video for the web novel Out of Space, taken from the website Royal Road. And as always, I hope you enjoy the narration. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 349: Rocket Symphony, Northam Outer City, Fourth Avenue, Marine Defensive Line. The pop of a ranging water exploded into red smoke over the roof tiles of a nice-looking townhouse with balconies filled with wilted flowers and herbs. Splash over, good zero, the spotty yelled into the radio handset, which was linked to the ground line that spun over the rubble-covered streets set to the communication unit at the rear, which relayed the radio message down another cable that ran out of the city to the main command post. Fire for effect. Seconds later, the streaks of mortar bombs came over the skies as explosions rained down on the front of a marine company dug into the city. Instantly, the pressure from the arcane spells and its effects against the marines lifted, and the men raised their heads up over the cover and cheered. Yet, there were cheers slowly dying out as the mortar barrage lifted and hordes of crazies crashed the lines again. Outskirts in North Island, UN Forward Command Sir, reports are coming in from both companies that they are still at risk of being overrun. The command staff reported, Crazies are rushing our lines and the mortars are not effective due to the narrow streets and buildings. James turned his attention to the map and to the board. The map was a mixture of hand-drawn and photographs taken by the Griffins before one of them was shut down. Pull both companies back to the church at 2nd Avenue. Have the mortars cover their retreat as best they can. James ordered, and tell Top to get here. Master Sergeant Pike, a.k.a. Top, came into the tent after he was summoned. Need me for something, sir? I'm having both companies pull back from their positions, James gestured to the wall map. Whole city is throwing everything that they have at them, and we risk having the troops being overrun. I am going to need your new toys, James said. Are your toys ready? Pike gave an evil grin and nodded. Yes, sir, when you are. Good, "'James tapped the map. "'I want you to put the love of God onto this sector and this sector.' "'Pike nodded again as he looked at the map. "'Yes, sir. I'll be sure to give those crazies some TLC.' "'Go,' James said. "'Both A and B companies are pulling out as we speak and times of the essence.' "'Outskirts of Northam, UN Firebase. "'A dozen Mac Green printed half-tracks were packed into protective earth berms, "'as several large cylindrical tubes sticking out facing the skies.' When the order came, to the nervous crew who barely had any experience operating these weapons, and even lesser drills, nevertheless leapt into action. The rocket tubes were ready, laid in, and only needed some minor adjustments as Pike came yelling out orders and coordinates at the crew. The crew quickly removed the protective coverings of the half track turned SRM carriers, rocket pods, and they ran off under cover of the small adjustments were made. Pike stood behind the sandbag bunker as he waited impatiently for the order to fire as the command waited for the Marines inside the city to fall back away from the target area. Top, the radio man yelled, Command is calling for fire support now. Pike nodded and turned to the SRM commanders and snapped, By the numbers! Fire! The SRMs were grouped in pairs, each form a battery. Each battery was named and numbered Thunder 1 to Thunder 6, and then command was given. Thunder 1's both SRM and Salvo fired their rocket pods. 98 70mm rockets screamed and screeched like a branchy, leaving behind a mass of plumes of smoke and flames. Seconds later, Thunder 2 followed suit. Another 98 rockets were fired into the city, followed by Thunder 3 and so one. In less than five minutes, a total of five hundred eighty-eight seventy-millimeter rockets carrying a mixture of high explosives and thermobaric warheads rained down over the city, lighting up the storm clouds over the city. The targeting area of the rocket barrage consisted of one kilometer by one kilometer area. The unguided rockets rained through the envelope of clouds like a giant deadly teardrop and detonated as they slammed into the ground and buildings. Instantly, the entire city shook wildly as if a giant was stomping through the streets, Buildings, streets, and bodies were vaporized or blown into bits and pieces from the explosions. out outer city, 2nd Avenue, ruined church. The marines fell back from the streets in all good order, covering each other's backs as they retreated down the streets and buildings with which they cleared a day ago, giving ground back to the crazies as those crazed bastards chased them. Despite their superior weapons, the numbers of crazies were almost unlimited, for each they killed, another two or three would take their place, and even those shot in the limbs carried on screaming and rushing them until they were bled out or shot and killed. Mortar support managed to keep the worst out for the marines as they finally managed to disengage themselves from the crazies. They quickly reinforced the ruined church and some obscured god, ignoring the rotting torah bodies that had sought refuge in the church but were overrun by the crazies later on. "'Contact!' "'Someone yelled, "'North wall!' "'The marines quickly took up positions "'and fired the approaching horde. Hundreds fell, "'yet it was like a drop in the bucket. "'Incoming!' "'Danger close!' "'Hearing that, "'the marines' training took over "'and they ducked under the scant cover of theirs, "'covering their long ears "'and opening up their mouths "'when the ungodly roar came from the sky. "'They saw holes being punched "'through the dark, thick clouds, "'and like a kid scribbling with a pencil, "'thick lines were drawn.' coming in from the clouds with the bright plumes of flames that illuminated the dark clouds. And then the world shook. Unexpectedly, the explosions and the rockets caused a massive shockwave which knocked the warp storm clouds higher into the skies while the updraft of the superheated air slammed into the colder storm clouds, creating a violent vortex of wind and lightning." Unnatural tornadoes swept across the city, sucking up flames and debris, turning the nightmarish pillar of moving flames, which was visible with many kilometers away. Eyes from the outside of the city stared in horror as the pillar of flames entwined the storm clouds and was spinning around and round, like some kind of doomsday ritual while lightning flashed. Pike walked out from the bunkers and joined the other support staff at the firebase as they stared at the unnatural spectacle. Fricking hell! Did we release another god?' He quickly turned to the dumbstruck crew member and yelled, "'Reload the S.M.N.! Stop gawking your dumb rears and get to work, or I'll let you gawk in the toilets the whole damn month!' Freaking hate this planet!' Pike muttered to himself as he stole a glance at the unnatural weather in the distant city. Norsalm Underground Palace. Hedone was having fun teasing and torturing the poor human's memories as she slowly questioned the human. She found herself surprised at the speed of development and history of the humans, but she did not put them in her eyes as they were still ants to her. As long as she gets her powers back, nothing could stand in her way. Tell me, handsome, about the weapons you are, um, United Nations of Mankind. She gave a bewitching smile and the glossy eyed human whose devil of draws leaking out to the corner of his slack-jawed mouth. Tell me... The ground suddenly shook madly, and the rock dust rained down from the ceilings, following a heavy continuous thudding for a moment. Hedoni thought of it was Thor himself hammering on her roof with his hammer. Cracks broke out amongst the pillars of walls, while her followers too drunk or absorbed in their desires failed to notice. Those sober enough to only stood there in confusion as their bewitched minds attempted to process what was happening— The loud booms and thudding continued together with the shaking of Hidone frowned as she nearly fell. Suddenly, several pillars supporting the underground palace was secretly built for her, cracked, and chunks of white stone fell with a crash. That was a mild compared to what was happening above ground. Bodies were instantly crushed under their falling debris. Those witnessing the incidents laughed and giggled, while others continued with their reverie. Edoni hissed in anger as she dodged falling pillars as she suddenly, as the earthquake came, it stopped. She quickly made her way to the exit of the palace but found the exit had collapsed. She turned around and waved to her converts, calling them, "'Come to me, my lovelies, come to me. Move the rubble away!' Her followers, hearing her command, quickly stopped what they were doing, and with a single will, they worked to remove the debris blocking the exit while she waited impatiently at the side." She felt a tingle of fear down in the pit of her stomach, which she has not felt for many eons. Which god has revived with their powers? Is it here to kill her? No, Hidoni muttered to herself. No god should know that I am here. Hurry up, Hidoni chased her people, ignoring the screams of those that got crushed under the rocks and attempting to move them away. I'd better hide, thought Hidoni. I'm still too weak to fight. It was some god coming to take a divine spark which can erase her being totally from the universe, and her borrowed body of hers was the only means to move about in this plane. If her body was destroyed, the most that she would be returning to the void in between planets, where all the other gods and demons would be sent. Breaking the void and getting to host body in the material plane requires immense amount of energies. She did not want to return to the pouring darkness, not when she'd paid a huge price to move her divine spark out to the Void and into the Material Plane. Having her divine spark in the Material Plane gave her some advantages. Her ability to recover her powers was faster and her divinity was more potent, but they were dangerous too. Should her divine spark fall into the hands of another, they could control her while the other gods or demons would happily devour her divine spark, which could increase their own powers while erasing her completely in the universe. No, she would not fight. who tapped her fingers impatiently as she stood on the side of folded arms. I'll run and hind. Once I'm strong enough, whoever has tried this attack will have to pay for it. Outskirts of Norsham UN Ford Command Base. Jane watched the framing tornado in the city and ignored the frightened cries of his command staff. It's just a fire whirl. These things happen when the turbulent wind conditions combine with fire to create rotating vortexes of air. James explained to his command staff calmly, ''It's not magic, it's just meteorology and science.'' His staff calmed down after hearing his explanation, but still kept a wary eye on the scary flaming pillar. ''What is the situation from the ground now?'' ''Sir, A&B Company reporting the enemy has been repelled.'' The command staff quickly reported, ''Good.'' Tell them to hold their position, James said, and tell Thunder to fire the Reserums at the next sector. Once they are done, they are to target the next grid. Yes, sir, the staff replied. Thunder, this is Nova Command. Thunder, send. Nova Command, proceed to target the next grid of Barrage. How? Copy. Thunder, roger. Firing Barrage at the next grid. Out. James turned his attention away from the city and took a marker and drew an X on the map. This is for Drake, jerks. End. OF CHAPTER CHAPTER 350 CITY ON FLAMES Northalm, Rothschild's estate. Mills and the rest stood behind the barricaded doors and windows, hearing the sudden firecracker-like popping in the city. The crowd of crazies constantly battering against the barriers as they tried to force their way in. Yes, Mills yelled in excitement. The cavalry has arrived! Seeing the flashes of light and echoes of explosions, the remaining Marines stationed in Rothschild Estates' morale soared as they renewed their vigor against the rampaging crazies before them, using spears and axes instead of their firearms to conserve their ammunition. The last two heroes had already returned back to Orwell's Point for resupply, leaving the Marines and Rothschild House Guard defending the estate as their stronghold against the crazies. More and more crazies flooded into the nobles' district and attacked the estates and manors over the past few days, depleting their defenders' will and strength. "'Sarge!' the dishevelled Marine appeared next to Mills and yelled, "'There's a signal flare launched up beyond the east walls.' "'One of ours!' Marine reported excitedly. Reinforcements must be coming!' Mills patted Lieutenant Trissom's shoulder and yelled in his ear, "'I'm going to go to the east side to check something. It might be reinforcements!' Lieutenant Trissom nodded as he concentrated on impeding a crazy with his borrowed spear. Go, I can look after this. Remaining marines and the household guards had retreated back into the mansion days ago, as they did not have the numbers to cover the entire estate walls and fences. The mansion servants had moved all the heavy furniture to blockade the doors and windows, while the soldiers it off probing hands for the crazies. Merles rushed to the other side of the mansion, squeezing past the heavily wounded Imperial soldiers that were laid on the sides of the hallways, their blood soaking into the rich carpets while servants and womenfolk tended to their wounds. He entered the room and had a balcony facing the east side and just caught the dying red flare in the skies. Fire a red flare back. One of the marines quickly raised a flare gun up and popped the flare out in a spice to answer. Mills pulled out his binoculars and scanned the forested road, recording that was what the private docks and the nobles were. As he adjusted the binos, he suddenly saw the headlights coming out from the forest road, and soon several vehicles emerged out into the open. Yes! Reinforcements are here! Norsau, inner city, Citadel. Tyria leaned against the parapet of stone walls, glancing at the fiery whirlwind several rocks away. That was wreaking havoc. He grinned, and he was heard a telltale roar of more rockets screaming their way down towards the city, and seconds later, explosions sounding like firecrackers slammed into the city, kicking up the smoke and flames into the air. Welcome to hell, you sons of witches! Tyria yelled at his frustration and confused crazies milling around outside the wall. We are coming for you! The stranded Claymore One squad and the marines cheered as they watched the third rock barrage landing on another area of the city, while the Imperial Guard stared in fear and confusion at the destruction happening to the city. Titania climbed up on the top of the Dragon Towers and the Citadel as news of a powerful spell was talked and ravaging the city reached her. Following her were the rest of the city council members and they crowded around the wide circular platform on top of the dragon tower that proposed to be used for dragons as their riders to land on. They watched fearfully at the streaks of falling stars dropping from the skies and impacting on the city with huge ear-popping explosions. The falling stars seemed to never end, barely taking a turn of glass before the roars from the skies could be heard raining down again, destroying everything where they landed. Only Titania and those who'd fought against the barbarians knew that those were the mighty war magic. Titania did not know how she should feel, for she felt hope that the UN did not abandon her, but at the same time, the destruction of the city made her feel helpless and sad. She gripped her hem and sweat and blood stained dress tightly as she watched the city in flames, slowly dying away. Outskirts of Norsalm UN Firebase Cease reloading, the order rang out as hot, sweat crew of the SRMs stripped down to the pants who were standing by to reload the rocket pods. Waves of shimmering air rose up from the superheated rocket pods as the fourth round of firing. The crew stood down and secured the munitions as they waited for the rocket pods to cool down before they reloaded them again to prevent premature firing of the rockets due to overheating. The men, after finishing their duties, gathered up and topped to protect the firms and looked at the handiwork. Already, the ominous storm clouds that hung over the city were more than a week, had been blasted away by the rocket barrages and replaced with dozens of thick black plumes of smoke as the city burned. Shortly after, a light drizzle fell, the raindrops hissing as they landed on the rocket pods, and their rain helped to reduce the smoke and the fire in the city. "'All right, Thunderboys,' Pike roared at the milling crew. Check the SRMs. The rain should help cool the pods down faster. Check the temperature. Once it's within acceptable tolerance, reload the pods. The damn frickin' city is still standing. We haven't frickin' burnt it down yet. Norsalm in a city. Hodone made her way out of the rubble and supported by several of her followers. It had taken her people almost half a day to dig their way out of the ruined palace. She frowned at the smell and the haze in the air and gestured impatiently for her followers to fan out. Almost instantly, several of her favorite appeared with fans fanning in the air around her as she left the collapsed premises of a once-prominent merchant's manor. "'What what happened here? My queen?' Her loyal follower, Quime, suddenly appeared out of the smoke. He looked worse for wear, with his once meticulous robes now dusty and torn. "'We're under attack, by some god!' "'Who is it?' Hadoni asked immediately. "'Her senses in the high alert. "'Where?' "'The servant does not know which god did this,' Quaim knelt down before Hadoni's feet. "'But whoever it was, it was possessed by the far greater power than anything I have ever seen nor heard of before. We must leave the city at once.' Hadoni nodded and quickly said to her followers, "'Bring me the man and we'll leave the city at once. "'This way, my queen.' Quaim stood up and quickly led her away and the rest of the converts. We must hurry for the god might suddenly attack the city again with falling stars. Falling stars had only looked up worried into the smoky skies. Zeus or Uranus or Jupiter. She basically had no combat powers. Her abilities instead were more civilized as she liked to think of them. If she met any gods who could fight, she could only use all of her powers to flee. With the limited, recovered divine powers, she could feel someone or something seemed to be watching her, making her jumpy, nervous, and wanting to escape whichever god was attacking the city. Unknown to Hedoni, instead of a god watching her every move, it was an owl-eye UAV hovering over the city, its electronic brain humming away as it digested every bite of information flowing from its multiple sensors and cameras into the different tiers of importance. Now it had spotted a large cluster of heat signatures on the move within the city and its current input of commands. It highlighted the information before compressing it into a few kilobytes but within a microsecond before a type-beamed the data by laser out towards the nearest relay station, which would automatically forward the data packet to the forward marine command that will call in an artillery barrage. Just as it was about to sweep another sector, a sudden signal triggered its priority protocols. The Allies' brain chip processed the information and triple-checked the data, even pinging the beacon coming in from one of the heat signatures on the group. It was a United Nations of Man-Free Command Transponder signal that pinged the UAV. The ally downloaded the transponder signal ID before it had type-beamed the data to the ground at a high-priority tag. Once it was done... The UAV happily turned its sensors to the next grid and started sweeping the area for large concentrations of heat signatures to call in artillery fire. Outskirts of Norsalm, UN Command Base The operator in charge of screening the information from the UAV had been dispatched just hours ago after the warp storm had blown away, restoring telecommunications and telemetry sensors. He watched the video sheet feed and a cluster of heat signatures, which the computer estimated to be numbers uh, close to a thousand. He tallied the coordinates with the local map grids and was about to call in a rocket barrage on the location when a high-priority tag appeared. He watched as one of the heat signatures had targeting box overlaid at it, with a friendly IFF ID code appearing next to it. Surprised, he quickly ran the ID code to the military database seconds later a file appeared in the image of a handsome-looking man. Air Force 1st Lt. Peter Mitch, ID code UNM350512191216AM, race, human, Caucasian. Last known location, Blake's World, Northam, current status, missing in action. Oh my gods, the operator whispered as he read the data streaming on the screen. Captain James, what is it? James hurried over to the UAV control station. "'What have you got?' "'The missing pilot,' the operator replied excitedly. "'We've found him, or, oh, to be exact, his transponder.' "'Where?' James asked as he stared at the UAV feed and the data shown on the display. "'What is his location?' "'Yes, sir.' The operator looked at the manual control of the UAV and turned its sensors towards the group of heat signatures moving towards the city walls. "'Switch to normal vision,' James said, "'and zoom in. I want to see if it's our guy.' The operator quickly tapped a few keys and the live feed jumped. The black and white imagery switched to colors. Drips of smoke blocked most of the imagery, but the sensors soon zoomed in. They could briefly see snatches of people moving as the smoke cleared. Targeting box highlighting one of the figures that appeared to be carried by some others when the smoke cleared, even enough to be seen. Freeze the image and zoom in. James gripped the shoulder of the operator who executed his orders and a frozen image was displayed out. Zoomed in more and clean up the image, sharpen it more, more. The operator expertly cropped the image out and cleaned away all the layers of smoke before sharpening the image, making it clearer. James sucked in deep breath as the image finally cleared enough for him to recognize the pilot's features in uniform. It's a man, all right. James straightened up and said, keep track of where they're going. I want the UAV to follow them at all times. After that, James headed to the communications operator and picked up a handset. Put me through to High Command. After a while, listening to a series of beeps and tones, the line got connected. High Command, this is Nova Command. High Command, send. Nova, we have found traces of a missing pilot. High chance the pilot is still alive and held prisoner. Over. Nova, this is Captain Blake. Rescue him, if possible, without putting our men at risk. If risk is rescue is too high, you are authorized to drop heavy ordnance on him. Do not let them take him alive. Blake out. End. Of chapter Chapter three hundred and fifty one Tomorrow Never Dies Norshelm in a city, citadel in a sanctum Lieutenant Swa towered over the marine signalman as he listened to the conversation between the Signal and Nova Command, while Tatanya and her council members stood on the one side of the grand table, eyeing him and trying to make sense of the language and magic. After the arcane storm had blown away, disruptions of the radios, lasers, and sensors disappeared, allowing the troops inside the city to start receiving and broadcasting again. Sergeant Tyria, Lieutenant Swar called out, his orc features twisting in distaste as he called out to the special forces team leader. Got a mission for you from command. He gestured to Tyria over to the map and spread it out on the table in the sanctum, and he traced his fingers over the map before tapping on a spot. "'Yes, Sergeant, I need your people set up here to set up an ambush.' "'Terry frowned as he stared at the spot in the map labelled in old script of common tongue. Heavy Street? Ambush who?' "'Yes,' Spar nodded. "'High Command just gave word that they have located the transponder signal of pilot of the Shepard Six-Boar. "'Seems like those crazies have taken him for some unknown reason to us. "'You are to ambush the crazies and save the pilot.' Currently, they are moving along the street. Judging by their movements, they should be trying to make a beeline for the north gate. Swar so said, as a thick green-gray finger down the map across another line of streets. I'll give you command of the section of marines too. How many crazies are we looking at? Terry observed the city map, taking note of the street and the buildings. A thousand or two, Swar so said. UAV is keeping an eye overhead, and you have artillery support. A thousand or two. Tyria snapped his head sharply at stare at Swar, and not counting the number of Romers between us and the objective. You want us just fourteen men to ambush them and save one of ours. Swar lowered his head while well before he looked up and nodded. I commanded mention that if all else fails, we are to call an artillery strike and take out the pilot. Tyria shook his head. This is a suicide mission. Can't we just um call for the strike now and end it? High Command wants to know what they did to our pilot, Swar said before he leaned over and lowered his voice. And it's a human, one of their own. Tyrion nodded, as his head had an understanding once he heard the information. I'll see what I can do, but I doubt that we'll be able to save him. I will not put the lives of my men before that pilot, even if he is a human. You do that, Swar's beady eyes glistened, and keep my boys safe too. UNS Singapore, Captain's Quarters Blake rubbed his tired eyes as he finished the report that he was reading on, and a knock at his door and he looked up, seeing Commander Ford with a plate of sandwiches. Something to bite? Blake grinned and gestured to Ford. Thanks, I was just starting to feel a bit hungry. Ford eyed the pile of paper reports that Blake swiped to the side of the table and set the plate down. I think we need to rethink our doctrine on ground conflicts. Blake took a sandwich and bit into it and chewed it through before he swallowed and said, I guess so. At this rate, they're combat everywhere we go. We need to rethink our strategies. Well, at least for combat-capable manpower we are currently not lacking, Ford replied. With the ongoing training for the next batch of marines and two orc arrivals, we can now have enough manpower assigned to the branches. Blake chuckled. I know you are running a paper navy. Ford shook his head sadly. "'Glad that you know, ever since we got those old boats from the Isles, "'we were trying to improve our shipbuilding abilities "'and upgrade our fleet and ocean-going ships. "'But in the end, we invested Sodi into mosquito boats. Port side, and the floating wreck and the matador "'had a crew stripped from manned the PT boats. "'Our only fleet has barely enough strength to operate "'in the Goblin Straits for anti-pirate operations,' Ford grumbled. "'All the new recruits were all taken by Tommy into his air force.' Blake raised his hands and the feet and said, All right, chill. Next batch of marine graduates. You can have your pick of your choice, okay? That's better, Ford grinned. Blake looked down at the plate of sandwiches inside. I knew there's some motive to you to bring me food. Well, the Navy literally has nothing to do now, Ford complained, other than keeping the Straits clear of the Isle merchant ships and shepherding those island whales. We are sitting out with our thumbs up our... well... Brett not. Blake took another sandwich. Once we settle the frick up in Norsham, I got a job for you. Ford Dean Ford, you know that you are planning on burning down an entire city. Yep, Blake nodded. No more mister Nice guy here. And our own too, Ford frowned. Sadly, yes, Blake replied coldly. He can't fall into the hands of the enemy. In fact, no humans can ever fall into the hands of the enemy, You know the consequences of it. Everyone signed up on this on a voluntary mission. Yes, Ford leaned back in his seat. Still, it's one of our own people. How many original crew from the Singapore are still alive? 355, Ford Blake said, or 356 if the pilot is rescued unharmed. 356, Ford hissed. How many were alive when we first landed? 400? 424, Blake spoke from memory. Over 70 have died over the year. Seventy deaths?' Ford shook his head. "'I know everything you have done so far has been for our survival, but are we going to kill off one of our own when we have such a chance to save him?' "'I know,' Blake said. "'But what would you have me do? Sacrifice others to save him? Sacrifice the elves to save one of the humans? They are lives, too, and they have become our people, too. Are you telling me to use them like chess pieces?' Blake yelled. "'Is that the way you learned in pre Command? Sacrifice others to save one person?' Ford raged on, I've done it before, and I know what it means to sacrifice your own. Blake covered his face and said, No, there have been too many sacrifices going on here. If they can save him, that'll be good, but if they can't, I do not want them to waste their lives for one man, regardless if he's a human, elf, orc, or goblin. Too many lives have been lost, Blake whispered. It is time we do something about it. North Ham, in Inner City, Abbey Street. Hedoni ducked her pretty head instinctively into another series of thunderous explosions shook the streets, cracking the cobbled streets. She looked up into the skies, trying to catch a glimpse of what was dealing with all the magic and destruction of the city, but she could only see the thick black smoke covering the skies. "'Hurry up!' she hissed to her followers that surrounded her in the hundreds. They swarmed the streets and rushed towards the inner city gate that leads the outer city." and it would be straight route to reach the outer city gates, and she would hide and bide her time in the forest. Suddenly, the shrill shriek ripped over her head, and she jerked up her head briefly, and saw a dark, oblong object before in the air in front of her, and the crowd exploded. A thick cushion of air slamming into everyone, and her stumbled in her steps. As she recovered, she was the group of a hundred paces in front of her had vanished, replaced by a sea of red and unidentified bits and pieces. What happened? ''It's some kind of deadly spell,'' her follower, Quiet quickly explained. ''Hurry, mistress, we must get out of the city before we get hit by one of those spells.'' W- w- ''How?'' Hadoni spun around, trying to find who cast the spell, had her followers. ''Where was that spellcaster? How was he doing this?'' W- w- ''We don't know,'' Quaim admitted. ''But we must hurry, it's too dangerous.'' Just as he finished those words, another shrill shriek screamed over his team. It hit the rear of the people, turning those unfortunate enough into airburst into shredded meat and blood. Run! Quaim cried out urgently as he tugged at Hedoni's arm. Mistress, run! Hedoni felt a tingle of fear down her spine as she could not detect any traces of magic or how the spell came about. She allowed herself to be led away by Quime, stumbling after him while the other converts had followed and milled around in confusion. Fire in the hole! She snapped back to reality as she heard an unfamiliar yell, and the whole world around her suddenly turned to flames and smoke. Fire in the hole! Tyria yelled as a thumb to hard on the detonator. Instantly, the wired claymores went off, spewing their lethal loads into the crowds of crazies. Engage! He ordered as he broke cover, bracing his rifle against the low wall and firing at the still standing around him. The rest of Claymore 1 and the marines loaned to him followed his command and fired. Check your fire and the center group! Derrier yelled at the marines echoed the command while his own men advanced forward down the blood-soaked streets. A pre mortar strike at the group of crazies had mauled their numbers down while the hidden Claymore mines further thinned their numbers out. Still enough crazies remained to be a threat to Tahrir and his men, so they had the marines provide suppressing fire at the crazies, hoping to divert their attention to the marines instead, while he and his team moved in fast to grab their package and retreat. Tahrir knew the crazies do not behave like normal people in fear and common sense, as these people had their world destroyed and they were only their basic instincts and needs. He could scare or shock them back temporarily with enough firepower, "'But after that, they would still come back once the fear would past. "'Move it!' Terrier ordered and he stepped over the street, literally covered in bodies. "'He ignored those still twitching and only rammed the bayonet-tipped rifle "'into those attempting to attack him for reach. "'He only fired at those still standing and approached him as his men ignored the rest, "'making a beeline for the transponder signal. "'Finally he saw his objective, a bloodied pilot being carried by two crazies "'who stood there in confusion.' Taria gestured his men and fired, taking down both crazies and any surrounding crazies before advancing. Young, the team medic, took a kneeling stance next to the pilot and checked his vitals, while Hitsu ran up behind him and pulled out a foldable stretcher on his back and deployed it. Young slammed a vial of trank into the thigh of the pilot before he helped of Hitsu, hoisting him onto the stretcher and securing the straps. Once done, Hitsu took one end while the young took the other and they ran as fast as they could, back towards the Marines' line and the pilot between them, while the rest provided security. "'Move, move, move!' Terrier yelled. "'I'm calling for a rocket barrage on our location to cover the rears. Move!' As they ran, they could hear the screams of rockets coming in from the distance, their fuzzing screams growing louder and louder. "'Incoming! Get the fark back! Danger close!' End of chapter. Chapter 352. Die Another Day. In an some Rothschild estate, Titania's haggard face appeared before an equally tired and blood-splattered mills. Without a word, she jumped into his arms, ignoring the decorum and scandalized looks given to her by the council members and their wives. She did not care, and it really was a tough week for her as she sought some form of comfort from the only man that always tried to protect her. "'Sorry,' Mills whispered as he held her tightly, his eyes turning slightly red from emotions. "'I couldn't make it to your position, and you had to suffer.' She shook her head in his embrace, her head buried deep in his smelly armor, her nose already used to the smell of unwashed bodies and death. She closed her eyes, feeling a warm and safe as she remembered how the dark, menacing-looking arcane wagons as more of those deadly thunder weapons rolled up before the gates of the citadel and how relieved she felt at the time. Yet, a heavy sense of guilt washed over her for surviving while her people and city burned. The silent trip back to her estate was occasionally punctuated by brief snatches of conversation by the drivers in front. She looked out the glass windows, seeing the soldiers dressed in thick hooded cloaks and gloves, praying magical flames left and right, torching the remains of the city and its dead inhabitants to convoy slowly left the citadel. I, uh, I want to leave this place, she whispered in Mills' embrace. This place is too sad. Mills nodded his chin, resting on top of Titania's head and whispered back softly. I know, I know. Let's leave this place. A strong gust of wind came, blowing away the stench and the death and smoke, and Titania burrowed deeper into Mills' arms and fell asleep, while Mills gently rocked and patted her head as he looked up at the remains of the city. Cold wind cleared, and the smell of haze and mills could smell the slight earthly tinge on the air. Autumn had finally come. Norse alms in his city, Abbey Street, and Apache Company. Private Lorna was humming a tune that only himself, encased in a hot, sweltering suit, could hear. He could barely feel the trigger pipes as he thickly gloved hands had swept the nozzle left and right, the meters, long flames, torching anything it touched. His vision was narrow to just that of his helmet visor slit as he could see and keep himself from feeling claustrophobic. He hummed to the chorus of evil destruction to himself as he torched the hundreds of putrid bodies and parts, thankful that his view was limited, making him able to ignore the gruesome landscape before him. He was working his way through the ruins when he used the Abbey Street. He gave a surprised yelp and fright when a hand burst from the scorched ground and gripped his boots. Reflexively, he stomped down on the blackened arm several times before he broke off a couple of fingers and managed to pry himself away from the hand. He stumbled back in a warily as he tried to make sense of the situation before him. The hand appeared to be trying to force its way out of the charred ground, and Lorna backed off as another hand suddenly popped out of the crack just from the crust in the ground. A totally naked and hairless body crawled its way out from the crust-like ground. Its body red and leaking pus and fluids. Lorna knew clearly that it was a female from her breasts and had the skin peeled off, revealing reddish muscles and nerves. The female turned its bald, scorched head in his direction and stepped back and snapped a piece of charcoal. The eyes in her empty sockets long boiled and burst away from the heat. She opened her mouth and let out a cry of pain and hate that came out as a hoarse screech from the melted vocals. "'What the fark! Lorna gasped in horror, trying to crawl towards him. He drew his revolver one handedly and cocked the hammer back, aiming at the forehead of the poor female. Rest in peace. BOOM! The shot was simple and true to its target, hitting dead center of the female's forehead. But to Lorna's surprise, the other than leaving a hole in her head, it seemed to still be alive. Quickly, he triggered his comms. Sarge, I've got something here, some kind of mage or undead. ''What's your location?'' his Sarge replied, making Lorna feel some form of comfort. ''Um, I think I'm at the crossroads of Abbey Street,'' Lorna replied. ''Make it quick.'' Following the report, he emptied the remainder of his ammo into the undying creature, inciting several unearthly screams from the creature. Not long after, several figures came around over and surrounded the creature from all sides. ''What the hell is it?'' Lorna asked as he reloaded his revolver. ''It ate five shots and it still doesn't die.'' Whatever it is, the grizzly sergeant hawed and spat to one side. HQ says burn and kill everything that isn't normal. Well, what are you waiting for? The sergeant yelled at the marines. Get it with fire. The marines fell back to a safe distance while Lorna and the other two framers-equipped marines stepped forward and ignited their flamer nozzles before the flames spread out and covered the screaming body. Pain. Agony. Fear darkness. These were the things going through the thoughts of Hedonia as she blindly stumbled in the dark. Each movement felt like hundreds, no thousands of cuts on her flesh and bones. It was a feeling worse than being exiled to the void. She knew that carrying her divine spark here would subject her to such torment. She would have hidden her core into the void instead. She heard a noise and tried to make her way towards it, hoping that it was some of her followers who survived the sudden attack that came screaming out of the skies. The stars rained down on her and her followers and the next thing she knew, she was buried under hundreds of bodies who used their flesh to protect her while everything burned. Yet, it was not enough. Heat like that from the forges of Hephaestus slowly roasted her and suffocated her as her followers and her insides boiled as though baked, unable to escape the bodies crashing on top of her before she passed out. Unknown how long she passed out, when she awakened, she felt the agony of her wounds and used all of her divine strength to crawl her way out. Blinded, she could only stumble around, hoping to find some shelter to recover her wounds and her divine powers. To her surprise, she heard a thunderous roar and almost deafened her her already damaged hearing, and something powerful and small slammed into her head, making her almost faint from the sudden stinging pain. She screamed as she felt the pain in her head was about to break open, and her skull. Of what followed were next, over a few roars that totally destroyed her hearing, and the blows then knocked her remaining air out of her host's body. Adoni's mind went blank from the pain, and her base instincts took over, as she crawled away from the source of the painful roars and attacks. Tears that could fall would have fallen if not for her tear ducts had melted and fused with the facial muscles. She desperately tried to escape as fast as her body could move, and when the gush of flames washed over her and over, she screamed like she'd never screamed before. Lorna held down the pressure trigger on his flamer, making sure to keep an eye on his nozzle temperature gauge as he was taught. He was astonished as the creature was still alive even after several seconds of superheated flames and three farking flamers. What in the heavens is this creature? he thought, as just as a sudden flash of eye searing light burst out from the creature, he felt as himself being lifted up with a cry of horror. He and his surrounding marines were tossed dozens of meters away from the force with a sudden unexpected explosion. Norsalm, Outer City, Shepherd six war crash site. James stopped as the details who were carrying out the black body of the stretcher gestured to them to give him a minute. He unzipped the bag and once handsome face now disfigured and turned purple looked back at him. James let out a long sigh as he sat next to the body, resting a hand on the body's forehead. He looked around at the site absentmindedly watching the marines clean up details picking through the pieces of crash site and retrieving the bodies of their own fallen. After a moment of silence, James patted the head of Drake Maguire and leaned back down and gave a kiss to his cold forehead. "'Go and peace, bro. Don't worry. She will be looked after.' He zipped up the body bag and stood up, blinking his eyes rapidly to clear the tears away that threatened to break out. After he was composed enough, he gestured to the detail to carry the body of his friend away. As he turned away, his sudden boom and a massive explosion followed by an earth quaking and shockwave slammed into him and his men, knocking him off his feet. As James recovered and climbed to his feet, he turned in the direction of the explosion and saw a miniature mushroom cloud had formed over the city. What the frick? Did a goddamn nuke go off the outskirts of you UN Ford command. The incident of the day before now sat a report before James in his tent. He had read through the report twice and wondered how to explain the explosion that killed three Marines and crippled several more to HQ when a voice called from the tent's flap Captain James? Magister Thorne? James looked up, come in. Thank you. Magister Thorne pushed the flap open and entered the tent, bringing in a draft of cold autumn wind. Well, I have some news. What news? James gestured to the camp chair and for Magister Thorne to sit down. ''Well, that explosion from before is definitely not from our weapons,'' Magister the Thorn said excitedly. ''I cast a detect magic spell over the area and found a shocking high amount of magic power. Pure magic power that is not of this world.'' ''What are you talking about?'' James rubbed his temples as a headache-inducing explanation from Thorn. ''What pure magic? I thought magic is based on several natural elements.'' ''Yes, but there are some powers that are not of nature and could only be found in one thing.'' Magister Thorn grinned like a 12-year-old girl with a new toy in his hands. Divine powers. Divine powers. James blinked in his eyes in confusion. You're saying that the god caused that explosion. Yes and no, Magister Thorn replied. I mean the explosion is caused by the god, or in this case, a goddess. But it wasn't a spell that made that explosion, Magister Thorn said. I spoke with the survivors, and they said that they were trying to kill a being that could not be killed with normal means, and they were fusing fire on that being suddenly exploded, and that being was female in nature. James leaned forward and narrowed his eyes. Are you saying the being might be the goddess causing all of this craziness in the city? Very high probability, Matched Thorne said, mimicking Dr. Sharon's manner of speech. What is more interesting was what happened next the explosion. James frowned before his eyes went wide. It's you saying that we killed a goddess with flamethrowers. Thorne nodded in excitement. Yes, if we can prove that it was a goddess, then yes, we'd just kill the goddess with mortal weapons. Holy frick. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated, and I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.